One of the things I love about Love Chapel Hill is they said it can go on to like one or two. So I'm setting my timer because I could do that. Um, Well, I want to... I loved how we closed that set there. I don't think that was planned, but I think the Lord had that for us to kind of just soak in those words, oh, how he loves us. I don't think we have any idea. We have no, what little that we do know is absolutely violently powerful in the human heart. But we have no idea. A couple of years back, uh, I, I saw a story of um, happened at a prison, and the inmates were out in the in the yard, and a sudden huge rain came, and so the water was, you know, rushing down through all these storm drains and flowing all out of the of the prison. <laughs> When all of a sudden, um, the guards start noticing the the prisoners, the inmates are converging over in one corner near one of those storm drains. And they start sort of signaling each other that there's a prison, there's a riot, there's a fight in the yard. And so the guys on the tower started training their, their rifles, looking at what was going on. And it was apparently two or three of the inmates... I shouldn't call them inmates. Let's call them men. Two or three of the men were drowning another of the man. That's what it... They looked through, and it was like they're holding this guy under this water, this flushing through this pipe. And just as they're about to click off the safety, because they're going to have to fire a shot to keep this guy alive, the radio guy, he calls on the, on the walkie-talkie. He says, stop, stop, stop. And it turns out, that they were having a baptism. And I thought, that is a picture of the love of God. It, it's confounding to the world. It's being drowned in the river of love. And I love how you all go, uh, I guess, up the street, down the way to the creek. Is that right? Under the... James Taylor Bridge, and do your baptisms. That is, and that's the place to start today because what I want to, to talk about is all at once, very simple, and it's the most profound thing we could talk about, is the love of God. And the love of God starts in the water. It starts in that water, in that water of baptism. It starts, in fact... You just go from that rushing river of that prison and it goes all the way back to this river called the River Jordan. And the Son of God, Jesus, comes into those waters and he is baptized by John. And, you know, John was doing this baptism for the remission of sins, for repentance. And, of course, Jesus enters this water. He's not needing to repent. But something happens there as he's taken under the water and brought back up. 
a voice speaks from the sky, uh, uh, the form of uh, a dove in the the Holy Spirit, like in dove-like form. That's the only way they could describe it. It's visible. It actually descends on him. It abides with him. And the voice speaks, you are my son. You are my beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. That's, that's, that's the baptism that we stand in. That's what happens in that creek. Is that that word becomes our life. It becomes our identity. My son. My daughter. My beloved. That's what Christian baptism is. In you, with you, I am well pleased. Fascinating thing about that is that this happened. It happened before Jesus had done anything. No miracles, no sermons. It's like he's getting the performance evaluation before the job starts. And we're all sort of, you hear so often people striving and struggling. If I can just get to the end and and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's already said it. He's already said it, and he said it to you irrespective of anything that has been done in your life or not done, anything that has happened or not happened, no matter how good or how bad. This is the gift word of identity. It's fascinating how Jesus goes right from that river, and he's taken into the driest place, a place where there's no water, the, the desert. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting, and And the first temptation, you remember what it was? First off, it goes, if you are the Son of God. So you know it's coming. It's like, you're going to have to prove it to me. You're going to have to validate yourself. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And you remember what he said? He says, it is written... Man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and, and this idea, the student at the seminary several years ago, we're, we're just kind of looking at this text and we're sort of asking, you know, I, I just sort of for the longest time thought that, that Jesus just had a good scripture memory program. And, you know, he's just responding with Deuteronomy and then he picks a psalm and, He's just always got a word for the moment because he's memorized the whole Bible because he is the whole Bible, right? That's not what's happening here. This student, he says, you don't think Jesus was eating? I think he was eating the word that had just come from the mouth of his father, my son, beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You see, that's the gospel. That, that that word is your and my identity and it is given to us. And just like that water we're washed in, that has to completely permeate who we are. This is what Jesus in those wilderness days, he is eating that word. That word is bread. That word sustains us. That word for me has become life. I 
in the morning every single day right up till today. I literally speak these words out loud. It's like I'm speaking the word of God to myself. I say, John David, you, in the shower, it's kind of a baptismal place. (laughs) You are my son. You are my beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. A lot of days, it's the hardest thing in the world to believe. But you see, that tears down every system in us that tries to develop our identity on anything else. That makes me just like anyone else. But it's like I was talking to my friend Jason Upton one day, and he says, you know, the miracle of heaven is that we're all his favorite. I needed to be distinguished. I mean, a lot of you students are up here in the, in the, in the, in the, in the university, and it's like, The whole value system says distinguish yourself, distinguish yourself, rise above the crowd. But this baptismal word says, guess what? You're just like everybody else, and you've got it all. It is a gift. My, and every night when I put my children to bed, this is what I want them to hear it. Because, see, there's something about God's Word that needs to be spoken out loud. It needs to, you need to hear it with our ears because faith comes by hearing. And the Word of God has power. The gospel itself is a power that is going forth. And for our ears to hear it, it, it literally changes the nature of who we are. We become love. That's what that's, that... that that's standing in the, in the eye of the hurricane. That's, that's what's going on in the Jordan. That's what's happening in that prison. That's what I want to happen every morning before I start my... That's what I want to happen as I put my four children to bed every night. We're right in the eye of that storm. I take my finger. I look them in the eye. They're laying in the bed, and I just trace the cross on their forehead, our sign. I say, Samuel... You are my son. Say, Mary Catherine, you are my daughter. You are my beloved. I make the cross. And I say, with you, I am well pleased. You see, I think that's how the Lord wants us to learn to speak to one another. It's that's the kind of love that's coming from God that we want to say and sign and sing and demonstrate in every conceivable way. You're my beloved. You're my friend. And I'm well pleased with you. You don't have to do anything for me to love you. That's the love of God. That's, and it starts in that river. And it's fascinating if you look at Scripture and you look at the, this idea of the rivers in Scripture. You know, the Garden of Eden, there's a river that's running through it. You get all the way to the end of Scripture, and there is what? The river of life that is flowing through the city. And on either side, right, there are trees whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. The psalmist says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I mean, this, this word is a gladdening word. But one of my favorite places you see this imagery of, of the river is in Ezekiel. 
And I hadn't really paid much attention to this, this story growing up. I don't know if my pastors ever really knew about it. Ezekiel 47. It's worthy of your attention to just kind of live with it. And just like the Valley of Dry Bones 37 in Ezekiel, that's another one that you're not going to figure it out. You just got to dive into it and, and just sort of watch the bones rise up around you. It's fascinating how even in Ezekiel you've got this dry valley of dry bones and then you've got this river image right over here just a few chapters later. I mean, the Bible is unbelievable in its integrity and in its scope and in its mystery and in its sheer authority by its truth. So the, uh, the text is like, so Ezekiel is getting a vision and he's taken to the temple and he, he sees that there's water flowing under the threshold, under the door of the temple and it's, it's flowing outward into the streets. And so they walk out a thousand cubits. I'm not sure how far that is, but let's just say it's a hundred yards. They walk a hundred yards and the water is knee deep. Just, just think about Franklin Avenue, you know. Just think about that campus over there. You walk another hundred yards and it's waist deep. It's like it's coming out of this place of worship, but it's actually, you would think it's going to be deepest right there and it's going to go shallow as you go along, but no, it actually keeps getting deeper the further away you get. So he walks another hundred yards, it's waist deep. He walks another hundred yards and it's over his head and he cannot stand anymore. And the scripture says that that this water, it is, this river is flowing. This is the Jordan River. And it is actually, there, there's, a, there's a word in there. And I had never seen this word. And just a little side story. When I was, this is probably about 15 years ago when I was working with Chris Tomlin, which this is before he was Chris Tomlin, and we were both just nobodies, which is, is good. I'm still a nobody. He's Chris Tomlin. <laughs> but, and I'm glad to say he's, he's, he's still who he is. I was just with him two days ago in Nashville. He's still who he is. He's a small-town kid from East Texas, First Baptist but he says to me, he's trying to, he's working on his, his like, what does he want to do with his life? He's just been in a terrible situation of being burned out on the road with this deal that totally took advantage of him. He's hiding out in this little Methodist church in Houston. And we're, we're leading worship and, and starting a little, congreg- little community together. And he's like, I think I'm going to call my my deal river music I'm going to call it river music and he says because there in Ezekiel he's like it says everywhere the river goes it brings new life to dead places and, and, and he starts showing me this text this is where I first really became acquainted with it that this river is coming out of the sea of Galilee It's coming through the Sea of Galilee. It's coming down the Jordan River and it's going into the Dead Sea where nothing can live. 
And it's actually beginning to teem with life. This is an impossible reality that Ezekiel is seeing. It's, this is the power and the nature of the love of God. Love is a supernatural possibility that is always ready to express itself in an everyday reality. It's, this is, you know, love, it's been, the word has been so ruined in our culture, it's, it's become just this sort of soft, sentimental idea. It's just like, you know, group hug. That's not the love of God. God's love is like a, it's like a riot in the prison yard where men are being buried in death and raised to life and where in the midst of the chains of a prison, they are being made free. That's the love of God. It is strong. It is powerful. It is supernatural. It is this supernatural possibility. It's always there. This is why Jesus says things like, Father, nothing is impossible with you. This is one of the refrains that you see through Scripture. Because nothing is impossible for the love of God. It is an ever-ready possibility looking for an expression of itself in an everyday reality. And it's... To say it's supernatural means we're not generating it. It's it's flowing to us, through us. And sometimes, in its most potent forms, it's miraculous. It literally can change the properties of a human body. It's, it's, It's the love of God is extravagant beyond our imagining. It's it's way over the top. I've just kind of been running through in my mind the, the life of Jesus and, and, the, and the stories of Jesus. And, and, and you, you look at his first miracle. It happens where, you remember? Cana of Galilee. There's a wedding. And they ran out of wine. And so his mother, you know, gets him involved. He's not happy about it. But he... It's described very clearly here. I love how the Scripture gives such detail. For most of my life, I've read Scripture, but it's like, oh yeah, I've read that story. I've already got that. But I've come to a place of like, you know what? This is an inexhaustible well of revelation. I'm never going to completely get it. It's constantly revealing the, the character and the nature of the love of God. So there's six stone jars right over here. Why do, why do we need to know that? That there's six of them. Why didn't he just say, you know, there's some stone jars over there, and they're full, fill them up with water, and, you know, the, I don't know what he does, he doesn't really say, did he touch it, did he wave his hand over it, um, but they, they, they bring out the wine to the, the steward, and he, and he says, this is unbelievable. He says, you have... Most people wait till everybody gets a little bit toasted. And then they bring out the cheap stuff. He said, you've saved the best for last. <laughs> You're... But the extraordinary thing is... The scripture even tells us how much those stone jars contained. There's six of them, but they each hold 30 gallons. That's 180 gallons of wine after everybody is already tanked. 
I mean, that is over the top. It's ridiculous. I mean, everybody got wine to take home. That's the nature of the love of God. It's extravagant. It's way past reasonable. Take the fishes and loaves story. You know, just these five loaves and and two fish. And this is where Jesus, you know, you can, he's kind of like feeling a sense of humor here. He's like, hey, how about you guys go get them something to eat? And they're like, shut up. And this is going to cost a year's wages to feed all these people. And he's like, you know, that's, that's what I thought you'd say. So this kid comes up with five loaves and two fish. Um, and... And Jesus, again, the scripture is very detailed. It says he took the loaves and the fish and he blessed the loaves and the fish. This is, these are the verbs of a Jewish meal. And he broke them and he gave them. You notice at the Last Supper, he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. It's the same language. And this is the same thing that happens at every Jewish meal. This is how they enter into their meal. And the fascinating thing about this is that those first three verbs, they're, they're past tense verbs. But in the Greek language, this last verb, it's an imperfect tense, which means it did happen in the past, but it's keeping on happening. It's ongoing. In other words, the miracle is literally happening in his hands. As he is giving, breaking and giving the bread, it's multiplying right there. And and they fed like 10,000 people that day. I'm assuming it's 5,000, not counting the women and children. That's over the top. And then they're very careful to tell us that at the end of the whole thing, you remember? They picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. The love of God is its a supernatural reality. It's a supernatural possibility. And the thing about Jesus, it's so... This is who He is. He is the love of God embodied. It is perfectly concentrated in Him such that when He can touch a person with leprosy who is unclean and in every other situation, that uncleanness is going to make the clean one unclean. This is where the clean one actually makes the unclean clean. This is power. It's extravagant. You remember when Jesus is calling his first disciples and there's Peter and there's James and John and they're out there mending their nets. They hadn't caught any fish, fished all night. And Jesus gets out and he begins to teach the people there. And and he looks over at Peter and, he's, and Peter's, you know, got the nets all repaired, ready, and he's probably ready just to put them down. And, you know, they fish at night, right? Because fish can't see the nets at night. These aren't like, you know, bass fishing today. He says, so, so throw your nets over there in the deep water, <laughs> which is absurd. You're not going to catch fish with these nets in broad daylight in the deep water. And Peter's like, if you say so. That should be our response, isn't it? If you say so. Okay, makes no sense to me, but we're going to do it. He throw the nets over, and it tells us that they catch so many fish that the nets start to tear. They call for the other boat, 
they load these fish in these two boats. And the two boats, it tells us very carefully, they're about to sink. There's so many fish. And oftentimes, you know, we think about, boy, these disciples, they, they left everything and they just followed Jesus and they were poor guys. You know what Jesus is doing right there? He's setting their families up with enough money to make it through the next year. Two boatloads of fish, that is over the top. They're going to be fine. He's providing for them in the wake of their faith to follow him. Think about John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist is the baptizer, and now he's, he's thrown in jail. And, and clearly, John's not really thinking that this is working out like it should. I mean, you know, he's about to lose his head. And, and Jesus is just sort of going around with the most marginal people in the society. I think John expected him to go straight to Rome. You know, John was looking for, I think, and this is unfair for me to say, because Jesus says he's a, the greatest rock star that ever lived, right? But I think John, and I think the society in that day, just like the society in this day, are, were sort of infected with the love of power. And, and they were looking for power to come in and upend that system and reinstall the sovereignty of, of, of Israel in the land. It's like you should be, there should be, you know, this should not be working out like this. And so John sends word from prison to Jesus and he says, so are you the one that, are you the one who was to come or should we look for another? So he's, he's clearly lost confidence. Remember what Jesus said to go and tell John? He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He didn't say shut up. He didn't say he said, go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, and the poor hear good news. You see, the love of God is actually going to all the places of chaos, of the, of the, of the fallenness of the world, and the, and the most marginal folks who've been most broken by it. And is reversing it. Blind eyes are seeing. And this is, this is the story of the Gospels. I used to think, you know, this is... He's just sort of demonstrating his power, right? So everybody will believe in him. But no, 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 no. He, he is undoing the fall. He is reversing the power of sin. And he goes all the way to death. Lazarus. This is all very systematic what he's doing. He is demonstrating that the rule of God is here. Right? Repent, turn away from that and believe the gospel. That's his message, 17 words or so. And literally, blind eyes are seeing. Lame people are rising up and walking. Dead people are coming alive. This is the power of the love of God. It is a supernatural possibility. And the amazing thing is that this is what's hard for us to believe. As Jesus is, so are we becoming. You see, I think this is his vision for us. But we get all caught up in the power issue. See, we're looking just like 
every other generation in human history, there's a love of power because we'll do good with it, right? But Jesus is all about the power of love. It's, it's a reversal even of the expectations of the human race. He's demonstrating the power of love. Now, just a couple more things. I'm running out of time. I want you to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Because it's easy to say, well, that's, I mean, that's Jesus. Those are miracles. That's not going to happen here. I think he wants us to believe it can happen. Uh, there's this sign on the bank in the little town where I lived, Kentucky. This sign that said, where there is great love, miracles always happen. You see, love, this is not the group hug. This is the power of God. But look at like the Good Samaritan. I think he's constantly given us examples in his own life of how it's supernatural, but it's not really miraculous. You can do this. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan where the uh, rob the guy's going from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he he gets beat up by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They left him for dead on the side of the road and. Then along I come, right, the Levite. And then there's Matley Roy, the priest. I mean, this is who we are, right, in the story. It's, it's, it stinks, but that's what he's saying. He's like the religious authorities. They're actually seeing him, and they're walking on the other side of the road because they don't want to become unclean because they're going to the temple. That's what I love about Love Chapel Hill. It's, it's so the opposite of that. But that, that's, that's what he's saying. But all of a sudden... Along comes a Samaritan, which would have just infuriated them for him to say. Now get this. Just kind of count these steps on your fingers. So first off, he saw him. Then he took pity on him. Then he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put him on his donkey, which means he walked. He brought him to an end. Do you think this Samaritan guy didn't have something else to do? He was going somewhere else. He brought him to an end. He took care of him. He spent the night. He stayed overnight with him. Then he gave two days wages to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And then he said, I'll come back. And if it costs any more, I will pay it. That's the love of God. Now, why didn't he just say, why didn't the writer of Scripture just say, so the Samaritan helped the guy? That's, that's what you need to be like. No, because when the love of God is involved, it is, it is charging the tiniest details with the largest significance. And all of a sudden, you're just like, it's like you're looking at art and you're describing it in great detail because it's so extraordinary. And so extravagant. And then he says at the end, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Because you remember what the, what the guy that came to Jesus, he's like, what do I need to do, you know? To inherit eternal life. And he's like, so, you know, what's the law say? How do you read it? And the guy says, love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love. And then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to show you what that looks like. And it's going to take like a hundred words to describe it when you probably would have just taken three or four. 
That's what I would have done. Think about the prodigal son. Okay, this is another example. Jesus telling this story. You remember the, the, the guy just shoots the bird to his father and takes off and with all the money and it's just like horrible. The worst insult that he could have done to his father. And, you know, he comes to his senses and he heads back home and he's got the speech prepared. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your slaves, one of your servants. So he gets back, says the father, and I've count these on your fingers. He, he saw him. I mean, why didn't they just say so? He came back home and the father took him back in and they lived happily ever after. Everything was okay. It turned out all right. No, he says his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and he said, bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf, we must feast and celebrate. Look at that extravagance. That is so over the top. And on the one hand, you say, you know what? That's, that's just ordinary. It's not miraculous, but it is miraculous because that turns heads. These two stories, the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, they keep telling them. 2,000 years later, these stories are turning heads because they're dialing us in to the extraordinary, extravagant, supernatural possibility of the love of God that is ready to break in any moment. I could go on. i got to quit. I'm sorry. I mean, think about one more, okay? You remember the... Jesus, the last... He's about to, he's about to go to the cross. This is John chapter 13, and they're going to have the Last Supper, and... Remember what it says right at the beginning of 13? So Jesus had loved his disciples, and now he would show them the full extent of his love. This is about love. And it says, as the supper was like being served, or after it was over, what does he do? He, he gets up from the table. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped himself with a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and he washed his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel with which he was wrapped. Now, why didn't it just say he washed their feet? Because, no, when the love of God gets involved in the ordinary realities and the details of human life, you behold it. And it's like art. And you describe it in a way like, and what's fascinating, you go Google foot washing. Google it and put images. Most of the artists in human history paint him with clothes on. They're not even paying attention. He took that off. I mean, that is, that is, that's just so far over the top for God to do that. But that's what God is like. And that's who God is is making us, and that's what God wants to do in us and through us. See, this is kind of an obvious thing I'm saying to you. I've read these scriptures all my life, and I'm just like, okay, you know, you wash your feet. Right? Samaritan helped him out. Father took him back in. I don't get it. I, 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 there's a lot more, and I really think, guys, 
I really think that's, what ha- that's what's happening in this community called Love Chapel Hill. I want you to be encouraged that you're seizing the everyday expressions where the love of God, the supernatural love of God can flow out and do things that pe- it turns people's heads. And they're like, you know, they're not like those other guys. You know, you, you will know they are Christians by their T-shirts. No, we know this church. They freaking named their self Love Chapel Hill. It's like when I was coming here, they're like, where, where, where are you going? I'm going, to, I'm going to Love Chapel Hill. They're like, okay, so, so what church are you going to? <laughs> this is different, guys. This is different. And you're into it. And you, you, you keep following your leadership, which is all among you, and putting yourself out there. That's, that's the final insight here is that we don't give love as we have it. We have love as we give it. Do you understand that? We don't contain the love of God. You can't contain it. It's not this river, that, it's not this reservoir that overflows. I think that's a myth. That's a bad. Bible doesn't really say that. Bible says there's a river and it comes as you reach out. All the time we're saying, God, would you write the check? Well, you know, would you give us the love of God? And he's like, would you cash it? You've got it. Go out and it will be there. So, you know, that brings me to the end to say that there's really only one sin. It gets real simple. And there's really only one sin because there's really only one command. You remember in John, Jesus says, My commandment is this, love one another as I have loved you. So, you know, the only sin is it's the failure to love. And the beautiful thing is you can't try not to fail. That just never works. You actually go in the other direction and you love. And the power of God will break forth. And in this church, in this people, You've already experienced it some. It'll happen more and more. You'll get in over your heads, right? You'll get in over your heads. (laughs) And the love of God will actually express itself in such concentration that a miracle will happen. This This is who you are. So be bold. Be inventive in your love. Be secretive in your love. And at the same time, be public with your love. Because this is what God is doing in, through, about, around, within, over the top, through you. So let's pray, and and Jason's going to come lead us out here. Thanks for letting me have an extra inning there. So, Father, we bless you today because your love is better than life. It is life. Your love is light in the darkness. Your love is death, is life in the, in, out of death. And you see right into the depths of who we are. 
no matter where we've been or how good we've done or how poorly we've done or what we've wasted or what we've built up, you're like, all that, forget about it. That's not what I'm about. I love you. You are mine. And I am yours. So just just encourage you guys just to, just to open your hands as a sign of receptivity. And I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to be poured out in a fresh way, in a way that is encouraging and that is awakening to possibilities that seem like impossibilities in our own lives and in the community. Just believe you're receiving the love of God, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And move out, move out with it in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.